0: Joe Fang is the founder of Intersectional Group, an EDI practice based in Portland, Oregon. Joe is a Chinese immigrant to the US, an EDI practitioner, communicator, leader, public speaker and advocate. Her multilingual and multicultural background helps her assist leaders and teams to navigate the complex and layered EDI space. My name is Greg Day, you're listening to The Portland Podcast. Today's very special guest is Joe Fang, who we caught up with today via Zoom. It has been a while since we published content, but for 2024, we're going to focus more on local content. Having said that, let's meet today's very special guest, Joe Fang. I
1: can.
0: Oh, I have an echo. Let me mute yeah. myself. Let me mute myself. I I just moved my mic around, so it's kind of low-fi, but I, I like it. I'm just uh, glad to connect with you, and I I was very impressed with uh, with you uh, with your speaking engagement at PHRMA's event, making work work. Do you remember that event?
1: Yes, yeah, it
0: was, it was a fun event. Yeah, it really was. And I was fascinated by the um, what you said about the different communication styles between um, the different cultures. I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. I actually wanted to hear more about that. So I'm, that's really uh, part of the reason why I reached out to you. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to talk about that because in the United States, it's such a big country, right? So communication can differ from state to state, right? So uh, in Portland, <laughs> there's a, a different way of communicating, and uh, China's a, a big country too. But you did make some generalities, which I thought was very interesting. Would you like to touch on perhaps uh, a, a bit more on that on that concept, that idea? Because I find the, the topic fascinating. Communication is always very interesting to me.
1: Yeah, um, so I think what we talked about at the event was, um, when I was growing up in China, communication was more direct and straightforward. People would tell you what they think, actually think. And, um, especially, you know, my family members, they were very um, direct and straightforward. Uh, and also at school as well, you know, teachers will tell you, um, what their feedback is, et cetera. And then at work, I think when I was uh, doing some internship, these uh, mentors or supervisors, they were also like, what didn't go well and what should happen next? Like it was all pretty direct and clear. And I was in South China, so I don't I don't really have uh, in depth experience when it comes to communications um, in the northern regions of China. Um, But for me, most of my life was, uh, well, at least as a young adult, as well as a child, um, I spent in South China. So it was it was mostly straightforward and but not in an unkind way, like it was just direct. Um, Mm. Right. And then, yeah, and then I think coming to the U.S., um, I spent a couple of years in Kansas State, so I went to K-State for my uh, graduate program, Um, and um, it was also pretty, like, it was friendly um but because i think it was academic my professors were also pretty straightforward like they will be they would so they would say something like which i think is similar to here is oh this is a good start you know like what will we'll go from here it basically means it's not really great but mm-hmm. this is a start um so at first you know at k-state i would be like oh great the professor liked it you know like this is a great start like i have something to work on but then later you, you realize you know when they make comments on your paper or your projects, basically they're just saying, this is not good. You need to do it again. And then I was like, okay, when people say this is a good start, they don't necessarily mean this is a good start. <laughs> they're just trying to be polite or something. <laughs> um, so I think hmm. it's similar to here in the Pacific Northwest is people try to be uh, polite and friendly um, and sometimes I feel like people are genuine, um, but a lot of times I think people are just trying to be nice and, and, and it's usually not like, there's no much substance in it. Like when people say things they don't really mean. Mm. Uh, so that's how I feel when it comes to communications in the Pacific Northwest is these kind of um sweetness these being kind of pleasant or friendly being nice but it's not necessarily kind or empathetic or compassionate i think those are different like the on the surface being nice and friendly versus or even sweet even sometimes you know people can be very sweet but you don't feel the kindness Mm. um yeah so and i think that shows up at work as well people would be passive aggressive right people would say something like well it would have been nice if so and so did this you know that's passive aggressive yeah or um if this could be sorry my dog
0: how is how is your dog by the way
1: we don't need to edit that out. Um, he's fine. He's just being a pest now. He had... I don't know if this is too much information to share. He had a lot of diarrhea last night. Oh, boy. Wow. And feel free to use or not use it. I don't really mind. My dog has a very sensitive system. And anything could set him off. Oh, okay. So. And So today, I just don't feel comfortable leaving him
0: inside yeah. by himself. Yeah, no, I get it, I get it. But I interrupted you, so uh, passive-aggressive and, uh, boy, it really is interesting. Y- you know, I've heard this from other immigrants too, uh, not just you. So... On one yeah. Yeah, it's just noisy. Yeah. Um,
1: sorry about that. Um, his friend is also here, so
0: the two of them were just, like, oh. being pests. <laughs> you know, well, one of my best friends is from France, and uh, he said the same thing. He, he thought he was making all these friends in the USA, but uh, apparently there was a breakdown in communication, and um, he felt as if what he was being told wasn't wasn't as genuine as uh, he would have expected, perhaps, in his homeland. So that's a very interesting cultural difference.
1: It really is. Sometimes I wonder if it had anything to do with the language. You know, English, it can be very straightforward and clear at the same time because of the way English is structured. Like, it's literally backwards from Chinese. So Chinese is like, I go do something. It's like these parts are pretty clear. And English is sort of like sometimes backwards. Um, I can't explain it super well from because I'm not a, a linguist, but I feel like the way English is structured, it leaves a lot of room. Maybe, maybe I should put it this way because the way the language is structured. Um, it leaves a lot of room for um, hypothetical kind of senses or like um, the ifs, what if, like the could, would, should. Mm-hmm. Like those are in the English language. And I think that that gives people room or space for um, just being passive aggressive mm-hmm. um, because it's kind of like, oh, that could, I could do that. Or um, you should, right, you should do this. Or um, would you something something. So I think it's the English structure. um, But I haven't done extensive study on the differences between English and other languages. So I can't say that for sure. But I think as, as a non kind of So English is not my first language, obviously. So I feel like maybe because of that, like when I compare Chinese language to English language, I think there is um, sometimes maybe more directness in Chinese language, um, which which isn't necessarily always true, right? Because we also have like poetry, we also have lyrics and songs that are super indirect. Like it, that it, it requires a lot of interpretation and imagination. So I'm not saying Chinese language is always straightforward and direct. Yeah. So I think it's just like in a general sense, um, that's how I have felt speaking these two languages. Mm-hmm.
0: So I have done my due diligence on you, Joe, and my goodness, you, you're an extremely busy person. It was, uh, I mean, we had to schedule this way out, so uh, I'd just like to learn a bit more about you. You got your start in journalism, is that correct?
1: Yes, yeah. So I guess it's something I haven't talked about very much, but I take a pretty big pride in my short-lived journalism <laughs> background when I was in China. Uh, I went to college for journalism and mass communications, and I did a few uh, temporary uh, work and um, internships when I was in China. Mm-hmm. So I worked at radio stations, I worked at magazines, I worked at newspapers, I think the only at the time, of course, we we didn't have a lot of social media going on, it was just starting. But I think at the time, um As far as traditional uh, media outlets goes, I think the only place I never worked at was TV station. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had some kind of taste of journalism when I was in China. And I think that um, that trade, you know, as a journalist, just being sensitive and kind of um, curious about what's going on um i've been carrying that with me uh in my grad school which i studied was uh, mass communications Mm -hmm. and then also in my work now um is to be curious and to be sensitive to uh the information we have access to and also to human emotions as well as people's um uh empathy as or sometimes for the lack of yeah um So yeah so (laughs) that's my journalism background um and right now i actually feel more connected to my journalist senses not in a practical way but more on an emotional level just given everything that's going on in the Middle east in Mm -hmm. gaza just seeing dozens and dozens uh journalists and reporters being harmed and being killed um on the field that really um it, it, it really connects with me unfortunately in a very tragic way mm. um but every day now i feel you know it's it, it's it's something to be proud of at the same time it's also something you feel like that really weighs on you. Like you don't take the title journalist lightly. Mm-hmm. There is weight to it, and there is pride Ooh. in it. Yeah. So yeah.
0: Yeah, and that that skill set must come in very useful on your podcast, The Intersection. I was listening to your your conversation with Dave Bibb, and that that's something I'm very interested in because my skin is dry this time of year. Oh and uh, I really loved that conversation. You've got uh, plenty of podcast episodes available. Lindsay Washburn on civic engagement, uh, Kim Levin, Levan on uh, meditation, mindfulness coach, just to name a few. And this is something that you're working on um, with, um, with your – this is something you're just doing for fun or uh, to connect with new people. I'm really curious how the podcast got started
1: Thank you for asking that. Um, I mean, you're much more experienced on podcasting than me. So I, I, I feel like if I share something, please give me feedback, or um, I will be very curious to learn your thoughts. Um so I really enjoy doing the podcast like the beginning of the podcast. Um, I actually wasn't it wasn't my idea. Actually, it was my friend Diana's idea. And she said, um, "You should do a podcast." And and it was, uh, I think, last year, maybe around summertime. I remember it was getting hot, um, and I was like, "Why would I? Everyone has a podcast. No one's gonna listen to my podcast." Like, but she's like, "Well, but you do have a lot to say." <laughs> I was like, you okay, do. So, um, huh? You do. I do. Um, so we started out as just like for fun, you know, just to try it and see how it goes. And then a little bit more than a year later, I realized I really enjoy doing it. I really, um, because, you know, the podcast is called The Interception and um, we're all different human beings at the same time. We're all similar in a lot of ways. But if we don't have a conversation or talk about it, we may never find out. I think what's going on right now, something I believe many people talk about is how divided um, the world is. And most of the time, the only thing we see is our differences. And I don't really want that. I want people to not only see differences and appreciate them, and also understand as human beings collectively, we have a lot of similarities and commonalities. And that's where um, collaboration and um, partnership happens. So I really want to use this podcast uh, as a small vehicle to share people's thoughts and ideas and how people show up to themselves and to the world. And in their own ways do something good and contribute um, to the goodness of our society. Um, And everyone I've talked to so far, like our guests, and of course, my co host as well, Rihanna. um, She's not a permanent host. So she only comes when she's available, which I'm really grateful for. Um, She always has just brilliant questions so i think the people we interview they are kind and brilliant and caring people so when they show up and share their sincere and honest thoughts i think in in their own way and maybe in my small way as well we're doing something good Mm -hmm. to the public so i Like, I think maybe in short, yes, it is for fun and I get a lot of joy out of it. I also think it's a platform for people to um, talk, you know, to share their thoughts. And a lot of people will say this is the first time they do podcasts and they really had a lot of fun. And that really gives me a lot of joy.
0: (laughs) No, I, I think that's... That is a contribution. And, uh, no matter how small, how big, it's still a contribution. And, uh, yeah. you know, like if you can just touch one person, I think that's, that's a real accomplishment. Um, intersectional group LLC is now celebrating two years, um, of operation congratulations. And you, uh, so, as I understand it, you offer three different types of services, advisory, one-on-one consulting, and public speaking. I'm really curious about these services you offer with the intersectional group, and could you touch on those and what you have to offer?
1: Yeah, thank you for asking that. I um, will try not to make you very saucy, but just like, you know, <laughs> genuinely talk about what I do every day, um, uh yeah like uh so advisory i do like workshops i do training i provide uh group uh trainings and workshops as well as facilitation like i facilitate affinity mm-hmm. groups etc um so i do group work that's a lot of the advisory work uh and just consulting in general with organizations and they can be nonprofit, they can be for profit. A lot of them are mid sized organizations. Um, so that's advisory just in general. And we talk about intersectionality a lot. That's like the foundation of my work uh, and what I believe in. Um, and of course, we teach empathy and compassion, we talk about curiosity. Uh, and all those are kind of like tools people can use if we choose to practice every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the one-on-ones are more kind of intimate and relational. I love doing relational work. I don't like, I don't want my job or work to be something transactional because I think, um, I'm not. There are so many practitioners that are out there, you know, doing leadership, coaching, diversity mm-hmm. and inclusion work. Mm-hmm. In that sense, I'm not special. Like everyone's doing this work. But I hope what makes me special is I treat my clients as partners. I want to build a relationship with them. And I want it to have a solid foundation and mutual understanding and respect so that when I help them with their leadership style or communication styles or working on their internal equity and inclusion work, I want them to be honest and be able to show up and tell me this is what's going on. And then I will also show up for them and share what I know and in what ways I can help. Um so that is to say my one-on-one services are very much relation-based uh, consulting services. And I want to work with partners who also have this willingness to show up and work with me. And, um, and we can grow together just mm-hmm. as people in leadership or people at any career stage uh, or generally speaking in life. Mm-hmm. And then public speaking.
0: Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, you're very comfortable uh, with the public speaking. And I was very impressed with your presentation. Um, this is something you do, uh, again, professionally. And you're so comfortable on stage. Where does that come from? Do you have a background in, in uh, like, being like in theater or uh, public speaking? Or I'm yeah. really curious. No, it's so funny
1: you ask that. Uh, the first time I actually did public speaking was 2018. So it wasn't that long ago. Mm-hmm. And I was always a shy kid, like growing up, I never wanted attention. My, so I was, um, I, I, I learned to play keyboard, like the, the, the electronic one mm-hmm. growing up, um, because my mom wanted me to, <laughs> um, some childhood stuff there. But uh, every time my parents asked me to perform in front of their friends, I really did not like it. It's not like I don't know how to play. I just don't like it. I don't want to perform for an audience. Well, I didn't. And so that was so like, that is to say being on a stage was never my thing. And then uh, in 2018, I turned 30. And um, I think that is when I felt like, okay, I really want to share what I go through and how I feel. um, My personal experience with people who care about this kind of stuff. So for the first time, I was able to stand in front of I don't know, maybe 100 people, I don't even know how many people were there. And it was three minutes It was only three minutes. It was like a community event at PDX Women in Tech organization. Um, and I rehearsed that three minutes for a week. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I really didn't know how to do it. I was so nervous. Yeah. Um, but then it went well. And then, <clears throat> and then that's when I realized, you know, this is something I can do. Um, So I've been doing that more and more, and I don't know how professional I am as a public speaker, but I'm really, I would like to use my voice. um, First of all, for myself, I want to use my voice for myself to share what I know and how I feel. Mm -hmm. It might not be correct. Sometimes it might not be accurate or right, but I think it's important for us to share our voice when we feel safe and comfortable to do so and also there are so many people who don't have a voice or afraid of using their voices and i was one of them like as an immigrant as you mentioned gregory you know it took me a long time to feel safe in the united states really and Yeah, as a woman of color, as Asian, you know, and I'm not, I mean, you saw me in person. I'm not a very large person. (laughs) It would be hard for me to fight people off. Um, So I didn't like to, maybe that's another reason I didn't want attention is I didn't want to become a target. Um, So, you know, as an immigrant, before I got my permanent residency, I always felt like someone was coming after me or um, they're going to deport me and it was a difficult kind of journey, you know, immigration itself. uh, That's another topic. But I knew that that's how I know what it's like to not have a voice or being afraid of using your voice. Mm -hmm. And now I feel more comfortable and safe to use my voice. I feel like not always, but sometimes when I speak, maybe that maybe that little speech also includes other people's voices as well. And if they feel resonate, if they feel like connected to what I say, that means maybe their pieces of mind are also spoken. Maybe I don't entirely know, like people don't really tell me that. But that's the hope. Um, So yeah, so yeah, so I hope to do more public speaking, um, of course, get paid, that would be great. Um, and it's always, actually I should say, I should always do public speaking when it's paid, you know, because <laughs> it's labor, it's work. Yeah, it is. Um, and I, I want to be able to use that voice uh, to to do something good as well.
0: However how I know both of you. Um, you're also a no, member
1: not noble. No. Trust
0: me, I'm not <laughs> Well, excuse me. I'll, I'll retract that. Um, you're also a member of the board of directors at PHRMA, which is the Professional Human Resources Organization for yeah. Portland and uh, yeah i'm really curious how you uh, uh, attained that level um, of uh, leadership at phrma they have a new website uh, application which i've been using the new community um, i'm a human resources professional myself i'm curious your involvement with phrma and uh, moving forward uh, w- what's what's on the agenda for 2024 and beyond
1: so I noticed that too, and congratulations on your new <laughs> HR director Thank you. position. Very exciting. Um, I got involved with PERMA because of the uh, equity and inclusion work that I do. Uh, when I joined the, I didn't join the board right away. I joined the equity, diversity, and inclusion committee a couple years ago, more than a couple years ago at this point, I think. I don't remember the exact date, but. Um, I joined it because I felt the need, um, you know, during COVID and Black Lives Matter, anti-Asian hate, all that the last few years um, really struck me. And I felt like I wanted to contribute. And I think HR is a pretty good place for um, mm-hmm. practitioners to share their voice and to contribute. Yeah. Um, so I think... What happened was a friend of mine was on the board of Perma, um, Portland HR Management Association, and she suggested that I join the com- the EDI committee, and I did, and I'm really glad I did. I really see the connection between human resource work and equity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Like they can't, you can't separate each other, right? They're always intertwined. Mm-hmm. It's always interconnected um so i I did uh join a committee and uh helped with events and programming for a year or so and then they had a uh, position opened up as a co-director of edi at on the board Um, and they asked me if i would be interested and i was hesitant because i didn't have a lot of experience with boards um But they actually, I'm very grateful that um, they had confidence in me, they thought I would do a good job. And I decided, okay, I'll just give it a try. Like, I didn't really know what I was doing, really. But I feel very fortunate because the other board members, they all offered their experience and wisdom with me and as well as the executive director. So uh I feel really good about that. And so I've been um working as a co-director at Prima Board for this is yeah, um, almost two years now. And um it's been a really nice journey. Um it comes with challenges because you know, every not every board member is um kind of like um on the same page sometimes mm-hmm. it's not like people don't want to do good things i think the intention is always good i think it's just we all have different approaches to things so when it comes to equity and inclusion sometimes it takes more um to get through things mm-hmm. but i think that's all uh, good and healthy and necessary to have those conversations and have those trainings and have those education and mm-hmm. open discussion uh, with board members, so that we not only um, acknowledge the importance of equity and inclusion, but also both internally and externally, when we serve the HR community and people who are adjacent to HR, uh, we also show up and work with the uh, EDI lens. Um, so, what's happening at PERMA in 2024 is we have a lot, a lot of events lined up. Um, of course, the usual HR things, and then new policy and updates for Oregon, right? Oregon always has new policies these days, and those are important, and we'll have uh, community events as well, and of course, we have a bunch of um, equity and inclusion events lined up. We'll have amazing speakers, and we'll have um, a couple of book clubs as well. Um, oh, book clubs? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah wow. We have some book clubs oh that's
0: great uh, yeah. I love book clubs I mean my experience with book clubs is you get together you hang out you, you chat and you also talk about the book
1: yes yeah we always wrap up our book club with either uh, some wine or a dinner <laughs> something like that so that's always be uh, that's right. a delight
0: yeah I've seen yeah. Those, those Instagram pictures I, I do want to ask you um, that's very exciting about uh, Perma for the coming year. I'm really interested in you, you're a chair of policy committee, women's. You're a chair on the uh, policy committee for the Women's Foundation of Oregon. I hope I said that correctly. I'm really curious about your role um, with that organization. And yes, what's also what's on the horizon in the new year?
1: Yeah, that's uh, again. I'm really glad you asked. I really don't talk about my working life um uh women's foundation of oregon again uh i had the honor connecting with them uh, earlier this year as i work on the pay transparency project um so i don't know if you are familiar with pay transparency or sometimes for the lack of is companies don't disclose the salary information when they post the jobs you know like on job boards or linkedin whatever a
0: lot of jobs a lot of jobs don't post that data or a, lot of, a exactly. lot of agencies don't.
1: Yeah, so pay transparency is pushing for disclosure of salary information um, to the public and also f- to employees as well. Like internally, right, when people want to have promotion and asking for a raise, they have no idea where they are on the rank mm-hmm. or they don't know if they are being undercut or something like that. Um, So the pay transparency project I've been working on is to push for legislation in Oregon to have a pay transparency law so that folks in Oregon, um, not only nonprofit and federal um, agencies, including uh, private sectors, will have um, salary information readily available for them when they look it up or try to get a promotion or try to apply for a job. So that's the goal. Um, currently, both California and Washington have a similar like, um, like, pay transparency laws, yeah. as well as Colorado State, New York State, uh, to name a few. And then Hawaii also passed their own law this year on pay transparency, uh, as well as Illinois State. Mm-hmm. So I really see this as an opportunity for Oregon to catch up, because yeah. it's falling behind. It's a national trend. And it's not only good for candidates and employees. It's also really good for employers and the and hiring uh, managers, um, because it really saves time. Uh, it saves time, and it makes sure people are getting paid fairly so people are feel, feel appreciated, and people will feel more motivated to do good work. So yeah. it's a win-win, really, for everyone. Yeah. Um, So that's my work with uh, Women's Foundation of Oregon is I work with them on policy work and as the current chair of the policy committee, I work with committee members as well as the foundation itself and also um, connect and outreach to um, policymakers and lawmakers um, pushing for Oregon's uh, pay transparency legislation. And right now we're actually working on finding a co-chair so that, you know, um, because one, everyone has limited capacity and, um, sometimes I I can't just like do everything. So I think having a co-chair will be really cool. Um, and also another thing we believe is, um, power shared is power multiplied. So if we can share power and leadership, that's not, Reducing your power—that's actually giving you more power and stronger because you know together we are more powerful. Together, we have more um, kind of strength when it comes to pushing such efforts um, through, especially in policy and legislation. So we're actually working on finding a co-chair this moment. But I think in 2024, our focus really is to push for um, pay transparency legislation hoping we'll get it done in 2025. We also would like to push for other policies. Right now, um, we are still at uh, early stage for other policies, so I don't have a lot of details to share now, but we um, we plan to have more um, kind of information for the public uh, in 2024.
0: Right. Well, it sounds as if you have a busy year coming up. <laughs> And you
1: very... I think the election year, yeah. so yeah. yeah, so definitely gonna be, uh, have to prepare ourselves, um, to be ready for a busy year, right. yeah, right.
0: And finally, I just want to touch on you know, where we can learn more about intersectional group and uh, learn, learn more about uh, about your efforts moving forward. Where can we find you on the internet and beyond?
1: Yeah, so um, our website is uh, intersectional.group, mm-hmm. so it's not .com, it's .group, so intersectional.group, that's where you can find our information. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn. If you just search, uh, search Joe fang Z H O U F A N G. Uh, you should be able to find me and I'm happy to send you the link as well. And then I'm also, you know, email is a really good way to find me is Joe Z H O U at intersectional group. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and most of it is work related. Occasionally I share something that's like Less work related, but most of it is work related, and you can see my work there. So I'm also on Instagram. I think it's Zhoufang IG. So Z-H-O-U-F-A-N-G-I-G. IG. So IG stands for Instagram and Intersectional Group.
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, Joe, <laughs> I really appreciate your directness. It, it's very refreshing, and uh, you're extremely forthcoming. And I just felt so much honesty and transparency um, when you spoke at that um, that uh, PHRMA event, and uh, it really struck me how just how how open you are. It just really comes across so. Uh, thanks so much for chatting today, and uh, I'll be following up by email. Uh, I take a long time editing these podcasts, but I really appreciate you sharing the time today.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time too, and you should come to the Intersection Podcast.
0: <laughs> you wow! Want. Really. Thank
1: you well that sounds interesting right
0: I I have to wrap I have to wrap it up but uh, thanks so much Joe and uh, I'll be in touch thanks so much I really appreciate you sharing your time today yeah
1: thank you so much Gregory cheers bye